Welcome back to Ben and Matt's Marvelous Journey. This is our podcast dedicated to the entire history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I say that, I guess Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is technically part of it, and Agent Carter, and we've not done either of those. But never mind, my name is Matt Waters. I am joined by Ben Phillips. I added the pause to match the one I did for myself for no reason. Ben, how are you? It's been a while. I'm good. It has been, well, I mean, in, in terms of Marvel or in terms of... In terms of Marvel, we have another podcast. There will be movies. Uh, EnterTheRealWorld.com, where we cover big boy movies that have no capes and lasers. And well, some of them may have lasers. I don't know <laughs> off the top of my head. But anyway. uh, there is there is a movie I think very later on that does have a laser in it. Well, there you go. But we are not doing big boy movies. We are doing movies for children that adults happen to enjoy uh, in the the MCU. And it is episode twenty four, Spider Man: Far From Home. Which, while we are recording this, Mike and I's Spider-Man podcast, Big Spideas, uh, will probably be publishing an episode uh, on this same movie. So, not anticipating this one to be a long one, because I've already talked about it for half yeah, an hour. Yeah, I mean, basically the only reason we're doing this now is, like, originally we were going to, whenever they announce Phase 4, we'll sit down and record a podcast and do them in two sequential weeks and then last night at San Diego Comic Con they announced what is, looks like the full slate for Phase 4 there might be some stuff that comes out at D23 but rather than it being like in August like we kind of originally expected it was going to be we've had to push everything up so this actually will be coming out in the same month that Spider-Man Far From Home came out which just <laughs> just just yeah two podcasts dedicated to this subject matter three in fact if you can count the superhero pantheon and not one of them uh, had a full review episode up like within a week of the film coming out but never mind since we last recorded avengers endgame has become the biggest movie to ever exist right that is what the trade papers are saying i don't think it's like i'm not saying it's officially official until <laughs> the end of the weekend i mean lion king could still absolutely dominate i mean we exist in a world where well i ain't uh, seen it and i've seen endgame so <laughs> i assume myself to be the arbiter of all of these things i'm looking at the box of his mojo at the moment uh, endgame looks to be or probably has just passed it, and Far From Home is the fourth highest grossing movie of the year. So Mike and I's discussion was pretty freeform, you haven't even heard it, so you don't get to hear my opinions, ever. <laughs> we will try and apply some of our traditional structure to this. I mean, written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, no Goldstein and Daly and no Christopher Ford this time, so one can assume any deficiencies compared to Homecoming are down to that. No, I mean, there are many factors that go into making movies. Still directed by John Watts, though, 129 minutes long, so it's slightly shorter than Homecoming. A budget of $160 million, so $15 million cheaper because Europe is cheap, apparently. And the box office is currently unknown, but it's quietly huge. Like, I mean, we don't know the final resting number, is I guess. More yeah, right. so what? It came out on July 2nd. We're recording this on July 21st. It's had about three weekends out in the world, and so far it's grossed $890 million, which I think puts it as the highest grossing Spider-Man movie of all time. That's crazy um, to me. Yeah. Like, uh, Spider-Man 3, for a long time, was, you know, for as terrible as it is, it was a huge so, box office. So I think the important distinction here is it's fifth domestically. So it's behind the original Raimi trilogy, it's behind Homecoming, but ahead of The Amazings and ahead of Spider-Verse. But worldwide... So that international uh, setting has actually helped it worldwide. Yeah, I mean, like, this is currently, like, the 
one that has made the most money internationally. Or apart from like Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man Two made more of the money internationally, but of the like the highest sure. grossers, it, this has made more money worldwide. Interesting yeah. that the uh, the Amazing's made so much money internationally. I think there was a lot of kind of like your Chinese backing and stuff uh-huh. like that for those movies. As we stand at the moment, it earned eight hundred eighty-nine point five million dollars worldwide. Spider-Man mm-hmm. Three is eight hundred ninety point nine. There's a million dollars difference there. The Sunday numbers aren't in yet, so this will be the highest grossing Spider-Man movie if we count worldwide but yeah. domestic still matters a lot because that's where the American companies get most of the box of it like they don't get much of the box office from China even what? so these are the numbers they will whack out there on press oh, releases absolutely but domestic still means a hell of a lot because it's the one they get the biggest return on investment on like sure. a movie is considered a failure predominantly if it doesn't hit its budget total domestically world worldwide obviously you get these mummy where they they become profitable worldwide but that profit isn't necessarily seen by the studio but yeah this is quietly the highest grossing spider-man movie it's the only non-disney movie in the top five for worldwide so far this year basically a disney movie <laughs> it's basically a disney movie yeah but so finally got... they, they struck that really uh well done contract and they get all the money. In terms of development, not really a lot exciting because, you know, as mentioned, Sony and Marvel did this deal. Three solo movies with Spider-Man that are in the MCU and three Tom Holland non-Spider-Man movie appearances. We have satisfied the latter with Infinity War, Endgame and Civil War and this is our second of three for now. I'm sure they will re-up this contract. I don't know. Sony, Sony are dumb, and Venom made bank. It did. Like, it like did. I'm hoping, I'm hoping they're smart, and they hold off and wait to see how Morbius does. I mean, I don't know what Tom Holland's actual contract, like who he is under contract to, because could Disney swoop in and just be like, look, do whatever the fuck you want over there at Sony, but we want you to be like on the Avengers going forward or something. I who knows. Could potentially come in and say like don't sign a spider-man contract with them we'll sign a lucrative deal they have their own spider-man series but we are done producing spider-man movies but i think it begins to get really messy yeah. but the thing is i think at the end of the day sony are in such not dire straits but their most successful franchise that isn't a lease essentially is jumanji <laughs> they had bond but they've lost bond now Ugh, fools Spider-Man they do technically own, but they've only started to be making profitably and good movies in the last decade by signing this deal with with Marvel. Yeah. And then it's Jumanji, which was the surprise hit of 20-whatever year it came and, out. And the enormous fear with a sequel to Spider-Verse is, I feel it worked because, because it's animated, they got to do what the fuck they want, and Sony higher-ups probably didn't do much sort of nitpicking, and now it made a fuck ton of money and was huge and everything... The fear is the studio then like get their claws on it and ruin it. But that's the thing is, I think Sony are beginning to be like we've made two successful Spider-Man movies outside of this Marvel deal. Obviously, yeah. the Marvel deal movies are still more successful, but Venom was probably a higher return on investment for them. Like I reckon they made, they made more money on Venom based on how little that movie looked like it cost and the fact that they aren't doing any kind of. Oh merchandise or profit sharing with this movie with with disney and the fact that they've given disney the keys to have three movies that have grossed higher than their spider-man movies that feature their 
their actor and their talent because Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame have all made more money than both these Spider-Man movies so far. True. And Endgame has probably made more money than both of them combined. It's all very messy, but yeah. Sony were very insistent on this second movie coming out in 2019, which made things a little bit awkward, uh, because the first one came out in 2017. So I think they want to have one every two years, because that's who they are. I mean, Holland is the only actor, I think, who pretty much has filmed a movie for Marvel since he wrapped on Infinity War and Endgame. In fact, in fact, he might have been filming them at the same time. I think he was. I don't know. Captain Marvel was filming at the same time as both of them. Captain and Marvel Black filmed, Panther. Captain Marvel filmed after. Oh, Captain, Captain Marvel filmed after. Black Panther filmed at the same time, didn't it? And something else did? I can't remember. Oh, Ant-Man and, and, and Wasp. Wasp. He is... I, I, re- I remember this because this movie was started filming when I started my job actually in London. Yeah. Because there were all the videos of like Tom Holland and stuff like that being there, oh, like, of course, a yeah. hundred feet away from where I was, and it was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like they filmed at Stansted Airport, they filmed at Bishop Storford, they filmed in London. Yeah, it was all crazy. But yeah, it, it made things a bit awkward for Marvel because, you know, I would say spoilers for Infinity War Endgame, but this whole podcast is spoilers. But yeah, obviously Peter dies at the end of Infinity War, and while it was pretty clear based on who dies, like all of that would be reversed. They hadn't officially, you know, they had a Spider-Man movie confirmed to come out after the next Avengers, but it's like, well, you're kind of forcing us to give away that he's coming back to life, if there was any doubt. But they they made it work, and in turn, Kevin Feige said that he enjoyed giving Chris McKenna and Eric Summers the task of trying to basically explain a lot of post-endgame logistics in this movie so it's like okay you're gonna make us do this you're gonna be the ones that have to explain all this bullshit <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think this movie works really nicely i i can see why they've moved it up into being the end movie of phase four this feels yeah. like a really nice epilogue mm. to those first three phases it doesn't feel like the start of something new it feels like yeah. the end and a teaser what's to come not like how ant-man finished phase two well, it was really just sort of like, and here's this other movie. This hanging movie where, like, they're just kind of like, there wasn't a clear cut between yeah. phase two and phase three. And really. I, I will give them this. It looked like this was going to be that, where it's just like, oh, and then they're going to make her just, as an antidote to all the big heavy shit, they're just going to do a dumb, fun Spider-Man movie. And it was like, going into it, it's like, there's no way this will have a major impact on the history of Marvel. In fairness to them. They drop some pretty big fucking bombshells at the end of this movie that have ramifications for both the future of Spider-Man and the future of Marvel, so good job there, I guess. So Ben, this is normally the point where you do your whole, here's the history of this storyline, this character, whatever, but we did Spider-Man a lot, so if you want to say anything about Mysterio or anything else Spider-Man related feel free but there's no pressure he debuted in amazing spider-man number 13 in june 1964 created by stanley and steve ditko rest in peace mm-hmm. both of those men yeah. um oh, uh, he started off as a um kind of like a, a disgraced special effects person who decided to start robbing banks because yep. he wasn't earning enough money we almost uh, got bruce campbell playing that sort of you know con man version uh, in the Raimi fourth film but it never happened yeah and then kind of nothing really happens with Mysterio like he's a recurring threat he's not like top five Spider-Man villain he's just one of the fun ones who probably has like one of the most iconic designs of any of them He's always good for a video game or a cartoon, but never that good for the comics. So yeah, he's like he's like the third boss you fight. Is he the third <laughs> boss you fight in that Spider-Man PS1 game? I, I, you're asking a lot. 
<laughs> I don't remember. I know he's uh, the main villain of one of them. But yeah, the more, most interesting part of this is, as reflected in the credits, like Dan Slott, the at the time of this movie's production, current writer on the on the um, comic books and Spider Man, does not get a credit at all. Even though I'd argue that this movie does take a lot from his tone and feel. But instead, you get Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli, who did the Spider Man storyline, which was that crossover between. Ultimate Universe and Regular Universe, which had Miles meeting Peter Parker, and Mysterio was the big villain in that. He found a dimensional portal and had sent a robotic avatar across the dimension line to kind of, like, rob banks in a different universe. And this is the one where they're pulling from in terms of, like, I'm a soldier from a different universe. Like, they're taking the bare bones of that idea and then kind of running with the fact that, like, we've just had Spider-Verse. Yeah. to kind of make you think that maybe something is going to happen with that and that's like what they're really they're pulling from that but other than that everything in this movie is like what if Mysterio was an employee of Tony Stark is basically <laughs> where they end up going so as mentioned at the top here Mike and I uh, discussed this movie on Big Spideas and I tried to steer the conversation in the direction of this movie as a sequel to Homecoming, as Marvel's current vision for Spider-Man compared to Raimi's, compared to Webb's. I said that we would do less of the focus on the, the MCU tie-ins, because I would leave that discussion for you and I. We did still touch on it a little bit, but I am gonna... I do have more notes about the MCU stuff, but my thoughts on the movie, like, in very brief summary, and then you can say, like, literally anything you want about it as a Spider-Man movie, because you are not bound to these rules. I enjoyed the stuff with the kids. I think it... I think they should do, like, a Midtown High Disney Plus half-hour comedy show with this cast of kids, because they're fucking great. I felt it was a little bit weirdly paced in that, like, the Mysterio reveal couldn't come fast enough for me, and it's not that I don't like the stuff in Europe and them just being kids because I do it's just I was feeling quite antsy for like when's the big proper movie gonna start almost and I said to Mike how that's like a weird like conditioning that Disney have sort of drilled into us almost and then I said like you know I like how he sciences his way out of things at the end and I like how they did spider sense and I like peace tingle the Peter Tingle, yes. And Zendaya's great, and the kids are great. Those are my, like, Spider-Man-related thoughts. Uh, oh, and we said how... Sorry, the big thing. The first movie, Homecoming, uh, did a big thing with, like, getting him away from skyscrapers and the Raimi trodden ground of, like, just web-swinging through tall buildings, all of that, and they put him out in the suburbs, they put him in, like, bodegas, all that stuff. This one takes him out of the fucking country, so a continuation there. But those were, like, my big... My big spiders on big spiders, but um... yeah, I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna swing into that last point very quickly, which okay. is just these movies have made a con concentrated effort to not do Spider-Man, yeah, in the way that you think of Spider-Man, which is why I think the kind of last five minutes of this movie are such like a breath of fresh air mm. in that it starts to hint like we're finally going to get our Spider-Man movie because the closest we've got to actual like Spider-Man shenanigans was the New York fight scene in Infinity War, yeah. And even then, it's aliens, which which Peter Parker doesn't normally, like, fight. Mm. So it's like, we, we literally have about five minutes of concentrated web swinging yeah. in this entire franchise so far. I do think that, like, they are lacking in action scenes in, in comparison. Like, I think all the strength is in the heart, in the cast, in the style. 
all of these things and they haven't i know they're deliberately steering away from those big skyscraper type things because they want him to be earlier in his career and like he will build up to that so i assume in the third movie there will be something a little bit grander especially as like this movie puts upon him the idea of being stepping up and not just being like help but being like a featured hero and the featured hero but yeah the the kind of the scenes we've gotten so far are like a bit middling like i like that he uses science to win at the end but like the whole thing with the drone fight at the end i don't think is great the elemental fights like we had some debate about are they intentionally a bit boring and are they almost riffing on themselves in, in a way because i think gyllenhaal's performance like being a little bit wooden until the reveal is on purpose and and that kind of stuff but yeah, I, I think that they haven't been great with the action scenes in these movies. Yes, I will agree that, <laughs> that there is there is one significant difference I, I, that I will bring up. My biggest hang-up with this movie is entirely on the characterization on Mysterio. After we have Vulture yeah. in the first movie, yes. who is sympathetic, like the entire point of his character is in this time of economic downturn, he does something questionably legal to help his family and basically it kind of escalates from there but like you understand what his motivations are for the entire time and i adore the scene where he comes out and like in in this movie where quentin beck comes out and like reveals his plan and they reuse footage from iron man with the same actor yeah um and you get the like tony stark make this in the cave with the box of scraps (laughs) is is wonderful but my issue is you start to get little hints that they're not going to do the sympathetic thing like because this could be a very interesting take on things. big business and using employees and, and denying uh, people credit and... and yeah denying people credit but also the idea that like why are we entrusting our lives to people who wear suits why are we saying that these are the exceptional people among us when like there are exceptional people otherwise that aren't shooting lasers and stuff like that but the thing is my i stopped my heart sank when i got the line like tony stark fired me for being unstable and it starts to like just slowly progress from there where you get a couple of scenes where it's like i don't mind killing lots of people i'm gonna point the gun at your head and stuff like that and i'd rather it would have been he genuinely fucks up like he is trying to be good Hmm. rather than he is nominally trying to be a hero because he wants the fame and glory of being a hero like i i that's my big issue with it is i would rather it be a story about it does take a certain kind of person to be a hero. It needs someone who's willing to make these quick decisions and is willing to fix the mistakes that they make, which Peter Parker does in this movie. But then you contrast it with a Mysterio who, like, he fucks up and then doesn't want to own up to the fact that he's fucked up and he's proud and in that kind of way. Like, I think that makes a far more interesting villain to compare the two of them in that way rather Mm. than Mysterio turning into literally a mustache-twirling villain who's willing to (laughs) murder half of London. Sure. And saying that, like, casualties are a thing that needs to happen for us to receive the respect that we need. And it's like, well, no, like, this isn't an interesting villain story, especially when you are comparing it to Vulture, Mm. who everything he's doing is done through the lens of, I'm doing it because my family deserves a better life. I don't want to kill you, but I will if you get in the way. <laughs> and they, yeah, and they, and they try and do that in this one, where, like, Quentin Beck's like, I'm not going to kill Spider-Man. But then it feels like his decision to kill Spider-Man is really easy and not particularly, like, dwelled on. And I think Gyllenhaal is fantastic in the entire thing. I, I'm going to vaguely disagree with him being wooden. I think it's just him... Well, not Gyll- wooden, Gyll- but... Gyllenhaal's kind of doing, like, the way I read it was, because Gyllenhaal was originally in contention to play Spider-Man in the Remyverse. Well, um, yeah, and like when when Toby Maguire got hurt 
making Seabiscuit. They thought he wouldn't be able to return for Spider-Man 2, and they almost, and Jake was, like, up to plate, and then Tobey Maguire came back. And, yeah, like, it's, it's that kind of thing. Like, this felt like the meta-commentary on we're going to get the actor who was going to play a Spider-Man 20 years ago. Well, you say of. that, but Matt Damon was the first person they went to for Mysterio, <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, but Matt Damon's already had his Marvel role. Like, yeah. like, what, what, would you would you disagree with my opinions there? Like I, 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 I'm. There is definitely that connection to him almost being Spider-Man before, but like it feels like it's not. You're sort of waiting for like indie Jake Gyllenhaal to show up in a lot of ways, and I feel he kind of does once that big speech happens. But when he's playing the role of hero, I feel he's kind of deliberately playing it a little bit flat because this is meant to be. A, He's not going to be like a great actor. He's just doing what he's doing his impression as a normal dude. Like the most charismatic dude they had in the operation. So he gets to be the one who's at the front of it. But like I read it as like, you know, the reason this rings a tiny bit false is because he is pretending. And then once once you get the reveal, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a little bit more like engaged. But I mean, you know, if if you don't feel he is uh, notably worse before that reveal, then I mean, I've, I've, I've seen the movie twice, and I don't think he is noticeably worse. I just took it to be him riffing on a kind of different style of acting, because he's definitely closer to, like, his vibe in stuff like Opja, once he does the, like, the reveal at the end. Like, he's a little bit more manic. He's obviously toned down from what he does in that movie, because he is hamming it up all over the place in Opja. Yes. But, like, in this, in this, he is definitely, like, toning it down, but still having a lot of fun. I just don't agree with the motivations yeah and um, yeah heading into it it was knowing who mysterio is and his whole deal is illusions and like them presenting the plot in all the trailers as like he's a hero and and he's from another dimension and you know them teasing the multiverse which you know may in fact be real after them faking us out with it early next week for that it seemed like oh well he's obviously conjuring these things and it's like he is doing that but they found a clever cuter way of doing it's not as simple as like he's using incredibly elaborate like (laughs) special effect illusions and i just saw it as like this is a guy who sees one the opening because a big theme of this is where are the other avengers and that's something we'll talk about in a minute so it's like you know there's a void here a lot of weird shit happened with the blip, like <laughs> R.I.P. the snapping. Here is the blip. That's what they're calling it now, and they did some fun stuff with that. I thought with Brad especially, <laughs> and just you know, like right, I can use these, and this is my moment to to stage this. Like to me, he couldn't pull this off in a world where there is the full team of Avengers, and I I just took it as more as like he's an opportunistic guy who's taking advantage of these points. And yeah, he's not as sympathetic. I don't think every villain does need to be sympathetic, but he's also less interesting. Yeah, I, d- I don't think they need to be sympathetic, but I do... I hold Spider-Man's rogues gallery in a higher regard. And it's different to Batman's rogue gallery. Batman's rogue gallery are like, oh, we're going to play on different elements of Batman's psycho psychosis or whatever, and everyone's going to be like an inverted part of something that he does. Whereas <laughs> Spider-Man, because of... The way that he's crafted, every one of his villains feels like they should be a reflection on a part of his personality. And, like, you can say that, like, Vulture, they twisted into being a family man, which is something that was obviously very strong to Peter Parker. And I feel like it would have been better if it had been this one was more 
about his sense of right and wrong and duty to being a hero. Like, uh, if, if could you if not argue it's about his resourcefulness and and his intelligence and stuff like that? Because I they're think, they're I changing think... Quentin from like a hack who has a specific skill set to like a Tony Stark level genius and stuff like that. And they both have this past with Tony and, and stuff like that. I think there is there is definitely that tie in. It's just not as good of a performance as Michael Keaton gave. I mean, I would I would say that, that there is there is logic there. I mean, there's the stuff where he's they they riff on Tony Stark building the first armor with Peter like putting all the stuff on and back oh, in black playing. So good, and him it's, thinking ACDC or Led Zeppelin or vice yeah, versa. It's like one of one of the best scenes Tom Holland's had to play in this entire franchise. Yeah, he nails that, like wearing the black t-shirt and like using the hollow tech, and it's just so like look, it's Iron Man one, and, and John Favreau like giving that wistful smile as he looks on, and you know the suit designs. I I loved him building the suit. But but the payoff but the payoff to that is he uses the, the the taser webs to take down some of the drones and then the drones kind of disappear from being that thing. It's not like he sciences his way out of it. It does turn into Spider-Man resourcefulness rather than Tony Stark resourcefulness because it's all about the Peter Tingle and him. <laughs> Him, him using Spider-Man powers is oh is, sure. Is, I, when is, I say is the, is the eventual payoff to like what that scene is, it's not like he beats Quentin Beck by like hacking into the into the um, holograms and like changing it into something like that. No, that, I mean that, I, that would... when I say he scienced his way out, I meant when he like uses the broken one to vault his way up, and he like fashions a, a like a hammer and a shield i don't know and like he hacked it and used yeah i mean I, and... I i agree that there is definitely a level of like him using his resourcefulness i just think it's downplayed in comparison to the through line of Fair edith in this one is edith and the idea that he has made a mistake and he needs to rectify that mistake using what his tools he has yeah and i think it'd be more interesting if mysterio made a sim- similar mistake but wasn't <laughs> wasn't willing to go to the ends of the earth to sure. like fix that mistake we yeah. we we compared this to like a hella or someone like that where it's like it's not bad but there's like no real meat to it and it's just yeah, like it, it, here's it's a sexy fun. person in a cool costume <laughs> it's it's fun and it's it's high-end marvel villain i can talk about that at the end speaking of edith where is uh where is karen i mean i know jennifer connelly is is in snowpiercer but like come on where, where's karen gone who played edith is there a casting for edith i don't know it's not friday it's edith you know like why why is friday gone because tony's dead it was friday in infinity war i don't know if Friday's an endgame, I presume. I think she is. In Endgame, when he uses um, instant kill mode, or whatever it's called, which, I don't know if we mentioned that as a callback to uh, Homecoming when we did our We almost definitely didn't. Did they reuse the audio... Of Jennifer Connelly saying that in Homecoming, I I don't know. Oh yeah, they did. They did say engaging kill mode. Yeah, it is Jennifer Connelly. I think in that in that scene, the voice of Edith is Dawn Michelle King, who was the first assistant editor on Homecoming and Far From Home. Not even a trained actress; she is just an editor who does a lot of work on the. She was the first assistant editor on Iron Man, so there is a a slight callback to her having been in the franchise since the very beginning. I understand why it's not. Friday or Karen, because the joke is Edith, even dead, I'm the hero, but like, 
I could have done with a line of, hey, where's Karen? You know, or, or something like that. But I would assume that that was because this is Chris McKenna and Eric Summers coming in. That wasn't their baby. That was someone else's baby from the last movie and they didn't carry it forward. Yeah. Like, that's, that's the issue you've got when you've got these scripts that are written by different people. They didn't do the first draft last time. They were working off a different draft. Mm. And they just never thought to add in that stuff, but did bring another AI in. So a lot of my... We've actually hit several of my Marvel notes. Um, I have some about, like, the ending, but if you have anything else about, like, pretty much anything in the movie, go for it before... The, um, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've touched it. The kids are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I think they've, they've cast these kids wonderfully. Uh, I mean, obviously, Likes and Die is wonderful. Joker yeah. Batalon's fantastic. Yeah, they give him more to do. They give him his fake... Uh, his his holiday uh, relationship with Betty, who will yes. go on to marry Flash. Tony Revolori and Angry's Rice, uh, sorry, Angry Rice are wonderful as well. The, the the subtle sadness with Flash, like his is it his mum not showing up at the end, and it's his yeah. driver instead. And like, you know. I mean, I know all the stuff with him being like, I I put stuff online with to have people feign that they love me. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. It's like, oh, this is a tragic character you've got going here. Who I, will someday become Venom? The best version of Venom, Agent. The Venom. best, the only one worth a damn in my opinion. I think that cast of kids is fucking great and they need to keep them and I would strongly attempt to do something along so is this, so I just, Midtown High. <laughs> so would you feel more satisfied if they started seeding Gyllenhaal earlier? You, you, so I think the, another big issue in this movie is the mystery boxing of it. Mm. And because every, like everyone who watches this movie who knows the Spider-Man comic knows that Mysterio is a bad guy. Yep. And if you are going to mystery box it, I'd rather the reveal be he's a good guy who fucks up. Which sorry to hop back <laughs> on that point. Um, however, like if they don't mystery box it and you have Mysterio in the background of all the scenes earlier on, would you feel more satisfied with the stuff that goes on in in Europe? I honestly don't know. It's just that what was going on in Europe, it felt like a completely different movie. It's like this is our fun, silly Euro comedy. And then it's like, oh, by the way, it is still a Spider-Man movie, you know? And, like, every single person in the audience knew that Mysterio was going to reveal to be evil. And I think they did a, you know, like you said, like, it, it, you have to wait a long time for it. But, like, tying it all in cutely with Stark was a good twist on it. And then, I don't know, like, the, i tell you what I could have done with more of. Um, the Mysterio nightmare sequences... Yeah, I mean, like that—that that is to so me, cool. the, the best, the best fight sequence they've ever done in the Spider-Man movie. The fact that there is never a point where he gets the one up on him in the final fight in London, and we get another reprise of that—that that is because because you you get like him using the Peter Tingle to like see the drones and stuff like that because they do send him back into that world, but it's about five seconds. Mm. And it's just like, I would much rather him fighting across like a London, which is like a hellscape kind of thing. Yeah. Something uh, I do in every one of the video games with Mysterio. Then. Exactly. Um, exactly. Like you, you do you do the Scarecrow levels from the Arkham Asylum games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I could have done with, potentially we get to their vision of Mysterio earlier. Like, I can't imagine, him tricking him is so intrinsic to the plot, but I almost wish that like we potentially opened on this fucking thing somehow yeah. like there's, maybe you just uh, outright were like oh hey i invented this glasses tech like you start with with peter like at a will reading or something and beck is there is like oh i invented these and then peter's like why don't you have them then and doesn't realize the ramifications of what he's just done and you just go straight yeah. into mysterio maybe i i don't know there's no reason for the audience to not know that beck is a villain other than 
to have that scene in the bar. And the scene in the bar is great fun. Very expositionally, but Jake just about makes it work, I think, because he's a very And you get actor. you get the fantastic like the, the incorporating Jake Dylan Hall back into the the bar footage from Civil War. Yeah, standing at the side of uh, of the the university presentation of of those glasses at the beginning of Civil War, yeah. Yeah, like I love all the different parts. And this is this is the main complaint that we have of Guns Galaxy 2. It's the main complaint we have of Age of Ultron, which is I love all the parts of this movie. Mm. If I take everything like down onto its like most intrinsic level, it's just when I add them all together, I'm just like there's something missing and yep. I feel like the the something missing is the Mysterio. And I've heard people say stuff that they find the first half of this movie boring. And I don't find the first half of this movie boring. I really enjoy the stuff with the kids. It doesn't feel like a Spider-Man movie, but it does feel like just letting charismatic actors have fun. And it feels like the the perfect thing to do right now, post-Endgame, to have this kind of be an epilogue and about grappling with a personal issue. And that's, that's the other thing I think this movie does really well, is that like when they recontextualize everything to be... This isn't a world-ending threat. This is just some guy with a boat to pick against Tony Stark. Immediately, the stakes come plummeting down, but it makes it more interesting because it then takes it to, oh, Peter Parker's fucked up, and he needs to go sort this shit out. It's not that the first half is boring. It It's just that it's such a tonal shift, I would say. I don't know. I think I, I agree with what you were saying, that, like, there's just something missing with the final product. Uh, I love a lot of elements of the movie. It's just... A rewrite the old writing team being there in addition to just these two. The other part of it is so so we've we've tackled I wish Beck had slightly different motivations. I wish they did more with the kind of like the Mysterio fight scene stuff. I also wish there was more of a reason that they took out of New York. It doesn't feel like the movie has any reason to do this other than it was a fun idea. Mm. Like the movie looks great. It, well, I mean, like as well as good as these Marvel movies do, where they're kind of like very flat and everything like that. But the movie does look. It does take advantage of actually being on the locations for a lot of these things. I think London's the least served of the cities that they go to because, like, Im- immediately it's like, oh, we're in the Tower of London, therefore it's a set because they obviously could film this in the real Tower of London. <laughs> <laughs> they do better with Amsterdam than they do with pretty much anywhere else. Or Amsterdam, the, uh, the Netherlands, than pretty much anywhere else in this movie. Tulips. Them trying to have him... Because, you know, they're trying to thrust upon him this role of, like, a big world-famous hero, and he's thinking of himself, he's clinging to that idea of I'm the local neighbourhood Spider-Man. And I guess by him leaving the neighbourhood, by leaving America, in his head, there's no way I could be asked to be Spider-Man, you know, like or do anything here. And then instead it's like, no, you are now a globally recognised hero because of what's occurred across Europe. Well, I guess, I mean, he's the night monkey for some of that. Well, that's the thing, is, like, they don't even do that, like, because he has just saved the world. He assumedly had, like, press coverage and stuff like that of him coming home, and instead we get I can't reveal to them that I'm Spider-Man because everyone would figure out that Spider-Man is one of these kids who goes to school because of the Washington Monument thing, but you then lose out on, you gain the joke of Night Monkey, but you lose out on other countries reacting to one of these heroes. But I do feel they will retroact. I I feel they'll wreck on that. Look, I feel the legacy of this movie will be Spider-Man entered the global stage and he's now world famous. For negative reasons. I mean, he saved London. As Spider-Man. But it ends oh, up I with he... being, I'm going to execute everyone with the drones. It's, oh, it's the way yeah, yeah, yeah. Well then. J. Jonah Jameson returns. <laughs> and amazing, he's back. Huge applause for many theatres. Uh, there was, I went opening night, uh, like literally the first screening, there were 
cheers and whoops and applause and the exact right response. I don't think any other actor in any Marvel movie would get this response just for showing up. Which is what told me it was him when you were saying uh, someone <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm got sorry. a huge reaction. I was like, oh, it's Jameson. Because no one else, no one would give a shit about anyone else. Even if Robert Downey Jr. did some like brand new recorded footage, you know, like oh, this, these were in the glasses, it's a video message for Tony. Even that would not get this reaction. Would you not have freaked out if it being like Willem Dafoe? <laughs> oh god, I would have thrown my hands in the air. <laughs> they have moved in the direction of Jameson instead of a newspaper mogul as a, like, Alex Jonesian TV shock jerk. Oh, I, hate, I hate I hate that he is, like, it's Alex Jonesian as, like, a verb. <laughs> yeah, oh. because... This comes from Slot, right? And he was doing this with Jameson before Alex Jones, like... I mean, like, Slot, Slot's done a lot of things with Jameson, because he had Jameson as, like, the mayor of New York and stuff like that. I think this this interpretation is mostly from the video games. Yeah, the video game, he's on, like, satellite radio, and it's all just, like, him being, like, Spider-Man's a menace, and every guest he has on is like, no, Spider-Man's great. He's like, cut the air! You know, it's, it's good stuff. Uh, that Spider-Man game is dope. But, you know, Jameson is back. It's wonderful. I have one <laughs> big gripe with this. What is that? They've ended the previous movie in the exact same way. Yeah, I suppose movies end with what the fuck. Well, what the fuck? And, so, and someone finding out. Yes. They did nothing with May finding out that he was uh, part of yeah, Spider-Man. Big criticism I had uh, in Big Spider-Ears is I could have done with some more scenes with Marissa Tomei with... You know, it's fine that she accepts it and she's supportive, but I could have done with something where they are having a discussion about this. So even if it wasn't the immediate aftermath of that moment from the first movie, although that might have been fun, you know, the the very first scene in the movie being like her saying, uh, you know, having yeah, it, it's, I think, I think so much shit happened in between these two movies yeah. that there isn't time. Like they just have to have her accepting it. I do wish there has been like, because the thing is, she's so accepting. It's not even like I'm worried for you. You might be in danger. She's like, take the fucking suit. Like, go yeah, do exactly. This. <laughs> and the thing is, like, and I, I like that it's supportive. It's a different take on May that you normally get in these kind of things. Like, uh, you normally get the May of like sometimes you get the reveal that oh, May's know the entire time. Yeah. And she hasn't told him. Like that's that's one that they kind of like bring out quite frequently. But this is a new take on that idea: is that she's known and is supportive and is using him in her charity work to kind of like come out and be the face of it. Yes, but it does make me worried for what they're going to do in this next movie. Well, yeah, I mean, so Jameson unmasks him to the world, like says his identity is Peter Parker. And, you know, Spider-Man is Captain Secret Identity, and, and the MCU seems to have kind of said, you know what, Secret Identities are kind of played out, like, their very first movie at bat. One of the biggest things that they've... The biggest legacies of the MCU is Robert Downey Jr. saying, I am Iron Man, to end a movie. And just completely turn... Twice. Aww, to completely turn the dynamic on its head, and, like, not everyone in the MCU has a publicly known identity, but I feel it's not really... Even if it isn't known, it's not that closely guarded a secret. Is it Hawkeye? Is Hawkeye the only one who is, like... But I don't like, feel he's, he's, he's like, a, hiding he's a his identity. He just operates quietly, you know? Yeah, but, like, it's just, like... like Originally, it would have been Romanoff and and Hawkeye. Right. But even though... But I feel like, obviously, the events of this movie, they know... Natasha Romanoff's name, like in in that adorable in memoriam sequence at the start of the movie. Well, yeah, Cap is like known as Cap. Although in in the comics, like 
Cap's identity is kind of secret. It's like, but he was a public figure in the fucking forties. I mean, in, no, because in in Civil War, in the Civil War comics, he is known, which is why he's defending he's, other people's rights. Yeah. Like, I will not sign this, even though people know my identity, because I need to defend the people who feel that they have a right to hide their identity. And speaking he's, of Civil War, like you know, so Spider-Man is Captain Secret Identity, and a big stunt they pulled for Civil War was, what if Spider-Man publicly? revealed his identity that's the biggest person we could out and that wasn't very well received and i don't know how long it was before they reversed that with with wonderful it was about six months six months i was about to say a year but there you go yeah six months i think i think, I think it's like 2007 to 2008 because big big time starts in not big time Brand New Day starts in 2008. Brand New Day, yes. Look out for Mephisto in an upcoming movie. But that's my big worry, is it's almost like we've got the Dark Knight Rises symptom. I literally... Well, okay, Rises. <laughs> I was going to say Dark Knight. Like, for that entire ending sequence, I was just like, and now here comes Jim Gordon's narration about he's got to run because we have to chase him, and, and he has to be the hero we... You know, all that shit. Dark Knight Rises is probably, like, the least beloved of Chris Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Oh, probably. Um, <laughs> Is it probably? But it's just like, th- there's a lot of things that it does that it doesn't function as a pure Batman movie in the same way that the others do. And it just feels like we're, we're heading into that kind of territory. Where we're going to get a Spider-Man movie which is more akin to actual menace to society yeah. rather than Jameson's certain right <laughs> yeah exactly like exactly like we're but gonna get that not, but he is yeah i mean like, and I we're gonna get there like, are portions of the comics where jameson has some people believing his bullshit and but it but people it is, are a bit wary of spider-man it's like an arc it's not an entire like crux of the story whereas this is like we are going to get a movie we either we're going to get a movie of peter parker being at odds with the law yeah. despite the fact having saved the universe yeah which is going to disrupt the the fun of having this peter parker in actual downtown new york if we are going to get that in the next movie yeah. or we're going to skip entirely over it. And I don't know which I would, dislike more. Would you say it would have been better if they'd done one or the other? Either have Jameson reveal his identity or have Beck frame him at the end. Because if you do both, everyone knows who he is and they hate him. Versus if everyone like hates Spider-Man but doesn't know he's Peter Parker, that's you can do something with that with him clearing his name. I think one or the other works better. This way it's just like either you have to do the MCU thing of this plot point that we've introduced whilst a fun end plot point to a movie mm. puts us in, like, it ties our hands too much to make a fun third movie. Yeah, the the fear is they've written themselves into a corner and you really hope that they had not just plans for how they react to this in the next movie, but just long-term plans of how they react to these two things. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what they do with a third movie. And yeah, just... and we're, we're at, the, at the expectation of, like, obviously we're now in a world where we know what Phase 4 looks like. I was working on the assumption that in two, 2021 we would have a new Spider-Man movie because they look like they were trying to get them out every two years mm. and we don't like we don't now know where tom holland is next going to show up because it mm. could be venom 2 well they could manage it i mean maybe marvel wanted to just do their 100 percent owned stuff at comic-con and maybe sony will come forward and be like oh we're doing spider-man in two years don't you worry i don't know but like this is a huge cliffhanger and i love that they got jameson back and they love that they got jk simmons to play him yep but it's just just because i was burnt by the end Thing of the last movie and <laughs> this this does not you have a real thing for when something ends the same way twice don't you <laughs> it feels like they tied their hands for the next movie and it makes me worried yeah. that we won't get the spider-man movie that the pure spider-man movie yeah. like i mean because 
Because we have to have a Doc Ock or a Green Goblin to finish this off, surely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've got four of the Sinister Six in place, I think. Are you you arguing that Mysterio isn't dead? We've got Vulture and Scorpion and Shocker, and there's speculation that Dimitri, who shares a first name with the character the Chameleon, could get involved. Like, he could be a rogue Skrull who can change his appearance, I don't know. But if you got both of those, then it doesn't matter that one of those is weak as fuck. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you've got three, definite. Uh, There is speculation, there are fan theories that Mysterio is still alive, I sincerely hope not, but I would imagine Sony have designs on doing a giant fucking Sinister Six movie with Tom Holland and Tom Hardy and potentially a live-action Miles and a live-action Gwen somehow... Who knows? Sony, please stop. I know, but, you know, you said it yourself. They, they've made a surprising amount of money on their own, and they've been trying to do Sinister Six for, a, like, a decade now, so... Drew Goddard doing Sinister Six was, like, the one thing that was made people go, like, hmm, maybe this would be good. And I've heard what the pitch was, and it certainly does sound interesting. Drew Goddard left Daredevil to do that. Ugh, what could have been? So the other thing they do... Nick Fury's a fucking scroll. Many people have been espousing this opinion for a long time, including on our preview podcast for Endgame, uh, where one Brian said exactly that, and we were like, nah, that's not true, and he's right, but it didn't get revealed in that movie, so he's wrong. Who knows? How long do you think he's this been This was the big question. I was like, has he been... Has Talos, Ben Mendelsohn, been Nick Fury publicly since Captain Marvel. Is that why Nick Fury's personality is so different in Captain Marvel compared to going forward? Is it Talos being like, look what a boring guy this guy is, and just doing that? But I the writers come, came forward and said it is legit Nick Fury at the funeral. But that doesn't mean that he's only been in space since the funeral, because this movie is eight months after Endgame. He could have been up there for a while, and he makes legit appearances occasionally. I honestly don't know. They could go either way. I would, with it. They I would could say, say like, he went up there after Avengers. They could say he went up there quite recently. I I don't know. I would say either it is fairly recent, and it's basically just him reconnecting with Captain Marvel is what caused him to go into space. You have to figure that he's going to feature into a Captain Marvel too, because they're definitely dropping a lot of. You get the scene where they talk about the um the Kree sleeper cells and stuff like that. Well, that's in, a nod to Agents of Shield, and also like. Like, him being on that beach fantasy feels like a potential nod to the Tahiti thing from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Who knows? But it feels like it feels like he's either it's that or like maybe he's been kind of like slumming between Earth and not in between yeah. after Winter Soldier when he retired mm. and kind of disappeared for a while. Because like we did get that long stretch of movies where we did not have any Nick Fury. Nick Fury. Yeah. How did you think they were? Well, I watched that first scene and they did feel a little off. And I didn't know if they were trying to like... I think they did it on purpose because a whole beat in Captain Marvel is no one calls him Nick. Everyone calls him Fury. Except Carol gets away with it, I think. And, oh, well, they do the whole thing where, like, when Talos is pretending to be him, that's how you know it isn't. Pierce boss, that's it. And in the first scene with the men, Maria calls him Nick, so I think that was meant to be a little giveaway. They do seem very different than they normally do, like, a lot, not dumber, but, you know, (laughs) like, the whole stuff of Nick would never fall for this bullshit, and I hope it's on purpose, because both of them seemed quite low energy. I will say, you know, Samuel L. Jackson seemed to be winding down his time with Marvel, and this potentially sets him up to be, like, all the way back on board again, and it seems... Yeah, he's done done all three movies this year. He's the one actor who's done all three movies. Yeah, and we presume this is 
you know, potentially sword he's running, which is sort of the space version of shield or some iteration of that and it reminded me a bit of original sin where like you find out that nick fury's been the watcher on the wall yeah in space for like 60 years or some bullshit like that and every fury you've ever seen is a life model decoy or some shit like that i don't know i mean there is stuff i enjoyed like i think the high again the highlight of the movie is that scene where we don't know what's happening and beck's got all the different all the different illusion stuff going on and you have the bit where like he goes in there with Nick Fury and Maria Hill, and then one of them turns out to be a hologram, and then they have the like the bulk of the fight, and then yeah. Fury shoots him in the back, and then that Fury turns out to be the entire time has been a, a, an illusion, and it's like oh this is really good, like this is like <laughs> five levels deep of just yeah. like not being, I, I like I, that's the stuff I wish that I know, and my partner turned to me at the end of that scene and said like. I thought Nick Fury was there. I was like, no, he was never there. Like Nick, yeah. Nick Fury has no idea about this. Yep, Nick Fury was never in Berlin or wherever they're meant to be. But he was just not to see Peter. Okay, not get... there, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, then, but then we get the great scene where like <laughs> Happy on the phone is just sat there going like, so sometimes looks can be deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought Mendelssohn. I think it was great that he was back. Um, I mean, that that feels like such a. We realize we got lightning in the bottle here. We need to rush them back in to show that we aren't done with the scrolls. Absolutely. When he says don't invoke her name uh, when talking about Captain Marvel, the first time Captain Marvel is named Captain Marvel, by the by, I thought it was good. And like, you know, him saying it's bloody embarrassing, like I'm a shapeshifter and I couldn't tell an illusion or whatever. You know, I thought that was just good stuff. Yeah, I think. That's the that's the movie for me. I, I don't know if you've got. I mean, like, I know I know we we've got two things mm-hmm. that we need to discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, there's three things we need to discuss at the very end. I do want to say I did really enjoy the relationship between Happy Hogan and May. Yeah, I could have done with a bit more of that as well. I could have just done with a lot more May. I could. Have, I know they cut a bunch of scenes from before they go to Europe. Like this, the big scene in the trailer with him like beating those guys down in the restaurant and all of that. And yeah, I assume there's some Aunt May on the cutting room floor. But yeah, I could have definitely done with more of that. Yeah, I mean they're very good. I like that John Favreau also feels like he's building back up his like Marvel time as well. Yeah, which is especially weird when he's directing Lion King and show running a Star Wars TV show. Mm-hmm. He's Mr. Disney. He loves it. I don't know if I would expect him to appear a lot going forward. Like, no, maybe, I think this, maybe this they was, get him for the third movie. But this was very much because this movie kind of like, as as we said at the beginning, it's a nice epilogue to the first three phases. Like, having this be, we need to find Tony's successor, which I think is like something we haven't really touched on. Is yeah, the, the whole parallel, the whole movie, he's resisting that he is going to be Tony's successor and Happy tells him, you don't have to be him, you just be yourself, but then it is thrust upon him by Jameson at the end, is the way I read it, that that he has to be Tony. Yeah, he gets, he, he, gets his, he gets his Iron Man, Iron Man, Iron Man moment. Yeah, but it's instead of Iron shape. Man, it is, he is Peter Parker, yeah. Which I feel like, I feel like, like again, like you cut out Beck saying that he's executed all these people, because at the end of the day, it's like, but everyone knows he's just helped save the universe. Yeah, I didn't even really take that. I guess the the big Jameson reveal at the end was so powerful it like scrubbed that whole Mysterio thing from the end for me because I had the whole mental picture of like, oh, everyone's against Spider-Man. And then we also have the question of like, when did Beck record that? 
because he like he has a full on diatribe where it looks like he's on the floor, and he could have obviously done that before Spider Man showed up in the room, yeah. but it looks like it's after he's been shot is the other thing. So it's like I think that's they... where the he's not dead theories come in. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Well, maybe look for Peter to be wearing an "I'm not Spider Man" T shirt, a la Daredevil in the comics. Maybe Matt <laughs> will defend him from the year 2021. Maybe She-Hulk will defend him. Who knows how the rights work with her. It's a good movie. I've got it, like, exact midpoint of yeah, my rankings. It's, it's perfectly fine. It's 7 out of 10. Like, it's on a level with, like, the problematic sequels yeah. that we've talked about. It's not Thor The Dark World or Iron Man 2. Yeah. It's not Winter Soldier, but it is... You agree it's not as good as Homecoming, right? It's not as good as Homecoming. Okay, it, cool. it, it isn't as good as Homecoming. Because, I mean, I'm Homecoming... obviously the highest person on that. Except probably it, the director and writers of the movie. <laughs> no, as, as I've repeat, like said repeatedly, like Homecoming very much has the heart, and it has the sympathetic villain, and just lots of little things that elevate it. And the people I know who dislike it are big brainy fans. That crowd, I don't trust them. I understand, and I understand that, like for a lot of people, that Raimi movie hit at like the exact right point in time because yeah. you have the fact that it is such that trailer hitting when it did with the scene of him swinging across New York and landing on the flagpole, and like the end of that movie, like it's such a fundamental image for that period of time. I think is yeah. historically like a massively significant yeah, point. That in the is the cliche. Spider Man comes from Raimi, <laughs> to be honest, in terms of like film and tv and and i think a lot of people like we, we this is high school peter parker and yep. if if you rather spider-man spider-man and like him being hero and with great power comes great responsibility then that's fair enough but i do think that for a lot of people out there they want this high school infused take yeah they and... want peter who hasn't gotten his homework in on time because he was out being spider-man and like peter yeah. with his like meaningless teen drama and stuff like that which, which, which we is get a little on, bit of here yeah which is why the kind of compromise of we don't want to lean into the raimi stuff we're going to instead do something drastically different yeah. he will grow does... up to be raimi's version i guess yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly exactly but it does kind of harm the movie that like they're, they're so frightened of doing the raimi stuff yeah. at this point yeah, good, good third act, bad third act. Yeah, I was gonna say, can we do away with this segment after? I think this is this is this is the last one, but I do think it also like this movie is very emblematic of it. Where this the third act is my least favorite act in the movie. Yeah, and like you know the drone stuff, it felt a little bit like the end of Winter Soldier's whole like you know it's all just chaos in the skies, and we have to do this random yeah, thing. Yeah, like they win. take they take away all the personal stakes in it. The the supporting cast is locked in a room. They manage to like contrive a way to get Flash in there as well. It's it's funny and amusing, but at the end of the day, like the threat is a drone with a laser. Yeah. It's not like that. Peter isn't rushing against the clock. There's yeah, no he tension. just punches back out immediately as soon as he gets up there and, and stuff like that. Yeah, again, there's no tension. I, I remember, like, I think one one thing that I have to say is like, I read a review that described the last act of this movie is you've got no idea what's happening. They can recontextualize anything at any second. And I was like, going like, that's not what the third act of this movie is at all. Like, we got about ten minutes of that. One point in the movie and it was the highlight of the movie and i would be so much more into this movie if the entire third act was him swinging through hell london and, and overcoming this enormous illusion yeah, yeah exactly like, I, like give me that give me beck having like complete one-upped him and like changing the yeah now i've changing... got the whole of edith i can pull off this just bonkers illusion like yeah exactly but... that would make me so happy but instead we get like oh there's lots of drones and... yeah the drones all look the same and they all shoot 
bullet bullets. But I think where that criticism comes from of like the the third act has like ruined it. I think that comes from Iron Man one. I think that comes from Winter Soldier. I think those two in particular. But uh, you know, it was a thing where it's like this movie is great, but they can't write endings to their movies. And it's not to say every third act, other than those ones, has been good and there have been some clunkers like i think black panther kind of suffers from that yeah like black, black panther de- black panther definitely suffers from it i'd argue thor ragnarok the weakest third the weakest act is that act three ah, still, um, still still pretty decent it's it's, it's still it's still really, it's still really good but, but like just just going going through my head it's like i think the avengers movies are the only ones that don't hmm. suffer from where like act three is like uniformly like the best act the russo's worst act three is winter soldier <laughs> yeah I would say that this wasn't like, a great movie that got ruined by a third act. I think it's like a decent movie, and like the third act is just as emblematic of like the con- the the connective tissue not quite working as well. I don't know. Like it's not. Yeah, a great I did. Ending. I didn't. I didn't walk out of it and go like, oh god, that was trash. I did walk yeah. out of it and go like, well, yeah, because the the very end fucking rocks. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like it was, it was it was more like I I wish the I wish there was more of a through line like i wish there was more of a payoff in the third act if that makes sense so yeah i mean not a great one but i think this trope of like yeah but they've the third act ruins it i think we're done with that what we're not done with villain watch i guess like i said i think he's either the very bottom of the upper tier or he's like towards the top of the middle tier because it's not Keaton, you know, it's not loki it's not killmonger it's none of those but i think it is decent and i think if you look at keaton and gyllenhaal as a sort of one-two punch i think the spider-man the marvel spider-man movies are actually doing pretty well with villains so far in only two at bats and we'll have to see what they follow up with hopefully mysterio is remembered as the worst one yeah i mean i i I, when when i described it like my distaste for mysterio it was like the reason why killmonger works so well and is so sympathetic is because kugler put his point of view into the villain. Yeah. This was something he believed in, whereas Mysterio is just like, we're going to give him an actual solid basis to, like, distrust this stuff. Like, the idea of Tony Stark giving a 16-year-old boy, just even being one that we know can be trusted... Well, yeah, but he's... you see the first thing he fucking does with it is almost fucking kill a teenager. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. <laughs> like, like he's, he really, like, this is... a something that should have like big red flags on it and it was a dumb thing to give him (laughs) it was a dumb thing to give him and i wish that the movie had done more with the fact that like tony stark is flawed but because this movie kind of like pivots more into tony stark hero worship rather than grappling with the mistakes that tony stark has made over his career it kind of like hurts that villain even more also, sneaky, sneaky that Tony still had this little killer drone fleet up there after everything we've gone through with Civil War and Ultron and, and all that stuff. Who knows? Maybe he built it to try and fight Thanos. Well, Thanos. I like, I like the idea it? that it's like this should just be used for deleting photos of you posing as a sex worker. It's <laughs> uh, the de- definition of like he is like I'm just trying to think like if there's a, like he's Hella. Yeah, I, that's that's who I keep coming back to. It's like not a bad performance. A section of the internet are horny for it, but. It's not like great. So I yeah. mean, like the thing I will say, Jake Gyllenhaal on this press tour has been superb. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal's great on every press tour. It's why she do bigger movies because it means he gets to do more press tours. <laughs> he's so but fucking yeah, just, funny. Just just watching him do this stuff, where like like all the stuff, like he's actually got chemistry with Tom Holland, and I wish there was more of that in the movie. Like I wish yeah. there was more of 
again, like all of it comes back to, I wish there was more of him being an actual hero. Yes, I wish there was more J. Jake Gyllenhaal bonding with Peter Parker and having an actual like Tony Stark, Peter Parker relationship with him. Like he becomes his father figure and fucks up. He should be like Syndrome from Incredibles. Yes. <laughs> yes, it should be like that, where like he's a dick, so he doesn't get what being a hero actually means, but he does want to be a hero and his plan yeah, exa- exactly. I think, I think that's exactly what they've gone for. They've gone for that, except it works in, in Incredibles because at the end of the day, he doesn't think he's going to kill people. Yeah, and, he, and his plan fucks up, whereas... Mysterio's kind of his vision for it goes almost exactly as he wants. He just gets foiled by Peter. Whereas Syndrome is like, yeah, and I will be a hero. I will defeat this thing and I will take over. It's like, no, the thing has over. Our Incredibles discussion will happen one day. Let's talk the All Marvel list, which will be exhausting. So we have. I like. I like that you said this was going to be a short episode, and we are at one minute, one hour, and twelve minutes of recording. You had more to say about this movie than I thought you would. So, <laughs> I've uh, thought about this movie a lot since I've seen it. So. Apparently, right? I guess I'll run down the whole list because it's been a while. We have Sam Rockwell, Iron Man Two, Haley Atwell, Captain America, Tom Hiddleston, Scarlett Johansson, and Mark Ruffalo for the Avengers. Sir Ben Kingsley for Iron Man Three. Samuel L. Jackson for the Winter Soldier. Pratt Saldana, Batista, Cooper, and Diesel for. Guardians of the Galaxy, Michael and pa- Gun and Gun, <laughs> Michael Pena for Ant Man, Robert Downey Jr. for Civil War, Michael Rooker for Guardians of the Galaxy Two, Tom Holland and Michael Keaton for Spider Man Homecoming, Tessa Thompson for Ragnarok, Michael B. Jordan, Letitia Wright, and Danai Guerrero for Black Panther, Josh Brolin and Zoe Saldana for Infinity War. Yes, we the broke- only the only double. Yes, double we th- broke her out from the. We stand by it. Ben Mendelsohn for Captain Marvel, Karen Gillan and Chris Evans for Endgame, and then we each got a bonus pick after Infinity War. I chose Chris Hemsworth for Ragnarok, but really you could give it to him for Infinity War or Endgame. And I think should... that was the discussion last time was like, do you want to give it him for one of these movies that have happened since Ragnarok? I don't remember where it came down. Like, honestly any of them. I'll try and nail it down, we'll do a written version of this, and I'll, I'll make a pick. Because Ragnarok, he's doing the Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man. One thing where it's like, he's carrying this whole movie with his comedic vision and proving he's an A-lister. In fact, I, mean, I, re- I, remember, I remember when watching Scott Pilgrim, Kevin Smith described what Michael Cera was doing as being Bugs Bunny-like. And what <laughs> Chris Hemsworth does in Thor Ragnarok is very Bugs Bunny-like. That's true. Like, he, is, he is a living cartoon who is willing to contort and do things that yeah. you would not expect people to do. Like, it is a masterful physical comedy performance. Exactly. Like, when he throws the ball, and just some of the, the way he delivers the dialogue lines, yeah. and it's why... Is he, though? Um, yeah, that sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, it's why I, I, I... Spoilers for next week's episode, I am the most excited for... Thor, Love and Thunder. (laughs) Endgame, you know, he's doing his most emotional acting in the franchise. Infinity War, he's just, like, marrying both of those with just being a badass. I don't know. So, any of them. Probably I'd still lean towards Ragnarok. I mean, the best thing is, like, he is the actor. Like, Chris Evans, as we can see, like, I'm looking at the list now where we've crossed Chris Evans' name out three times across this list. Mm Mm-hmm. He is the only actor who's who got better over the series yeah. consistently. Whereas Chris yeah. Evans, he he had like a duff first like four appearances, really, and he's yeah. good. He's good in Thor and he's good in Avengers, but like he's not great until we get to Ragnarok. But he was getting slowly better. Anyway, uh, you picked Jeremy Renner as your bonus pick, so only I can remove Hemsworth. Spoilers, not doing that. Only you can take down Jeremy Renner. I can't make you do it. You can swap him for someone else, though. We have no spare picks uh, left over because we used 
the Ant-Man and the Wasp pick for Zoe Saldana. So, one pick and one pick only, unless someone wants to swap their bonus person. For me, there are three... Well, for me, there's only there one. Is, there's only one. I just I want to ask you a question before we get into the three that we're going to be discussing. Yeah. How's Tom do Holland? You want, how's Tom Holland? Do you want to move Tom Holland to be best in this movie? Because I think Tom Holland has some of his best scenes in this movie. Like This is his most emotive acting, I would yeah, argue. It is, but I think him as a, not an unknown, but you know, stepping into those shoes as we've done another Spider-Man in Homecoming and just being a tour de force across the entire 90 minutes, two hours. I just think there's so much to be said for that. And while he may have some better individual scenes here, I just, I still would probably go with Homecoming, but... Yeah, I do, I do, I do want to give a special shout-out. Like, all his scenes with Zendaya, he's fantastic in. There's a great kind of awkward chemistry to that. There's some of the physical stuff he does on the bus when he's, like, trying to take out the drone is fantastic. The scene where he's emulating Tony Stark on the plane... And that is very good. ...is really good. And his, like, panicked running away from being inquisited at the at the charity drive. It's emotive of, like... You're I'm making a strong case there. Strong, strong case. I just... Like he's 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 really good across this entire movie, and I think it's like really downplayed because it's a very different mode that we've seen him in beforehand. And I don't know if I would make that decision to move him to this movie, but I think he is very, very good. But I think back to like him psyching himself up to lift the wreckage off himself, and oh, I mean, like, I think everything. I think I think like the best scene he's had in these movies is the the taxi, not the taxi scene, the scene in the back of the car with Mark King is still the gold standard for his scenes, mm. but I think there are a lot of good scenes in this movie. There are. Um, and I think the, the the highlight of them is that Tony Stark scene, especially because you've got Michael Giacchino's score using the Alan Silvestri Avengers theme in the background to kind of like, this yeah. is his moment where he finally becomes Avenger. It's really, it's really good, and it's just a shame the movie kind of isn't fully formed around. And a very strong argument here, but that's not what we're here to talk about. I mean, it can be, but... For me, there is only one nominee, and it's Zendaya. I was all about her performance the first time, but even I would have to admit, you know, she's in it for less than ten minutes. They put her front and centre here. They've decided to just say, hey, yeah, since the first movie, he has, like, confronted the fact he has a crush on her. Because, I mean, they, they have a couple of cutesy little moments, but there's no real indication from him that he's into her because he's obsessed with um, Laurie Harrier. Liz, that's it, Liz Allen. There is that joke where she, like, notices everything he does or whatever, so it's like, maybe she likes him. But anyway, this one, they just decide they like each other, and so she is front and centre. He has this whole plan for the movie to, like, do this big romantic gesture, and Brad is his rival for affection, and all of this, and I think she is absolutely tremendous at all of this, because she's awkward in a different way than we often see women being awkward in movies, like... It's very true to life. Like, when they both, like, confess they like each other and they sort of have their first kiss and it's like, they, they do, like, the tiny peck and then they go back in and it's like, I don't know, it felt like a true-to-life nervous teenage girl who's like, hey, I mean, I haven't kissed a lot of boys. And, yeah, I just, I just think she's great and she's a rising fucking star and they should... Be- I will I will quibble with that kiss, though. Is That's the one scene in the movie where I didn't think they had chemistry at all because the first, like, two kisses they did in that scene, I was like, come on, this feels like you didn't want to actually, like, kiss on camera. You I do. mean, potentially, but I just think the way she handles how she feels towards Peter and all of the stuff in Europe with them, I think, is just really good. And she's just great. And, like, I, you see these stories going around about people who are, like, 
saying I am exactly like this person or my friend is exactly like this person. Like I saw tweets like I went home and told my best friend like you should see this movie because this person reminds me so much of you and she's like capturing a very different energy where it's like she is slightly in that sort of cliche of the like grim dark alternate girl like the you know the breakfast club type thing but like in a different way that she's made her own and I, I just think she's great and I would 100% say it's Zendaya but you have some alternates for me don't you? Yeah I mean I, I think Zendaya is wonderful I think she nails every single thing that she's got with Peter Parker I love when she says that she's figured out that he's Spider-Man and yeah. his reaction is just being like no, no 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 I'm not and then when he shifts into actually telling her that he's Spider-Man uh, her just going like I was only like 65% sure you actually Spider-Man right now is <laughs> is yeah. is really wonderful yeah. um her being terrified when they go web swinging as a as a riff on the like you know taking Lois Lane flying and and Kirsten Dunst's web swinging where they they enjoy this experience and she's just like this is terrifying we're never doing this again blah 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 I thought that was yeah I think I think she's she's great when she's got the bow scene where she's like bow (laughs) to that guy and I think the stuff with Brad where like because I I think I I was gonna I was gonna mention I thought the Brad payoff was a little soft yeah Brad didn't go anywhere did it (laughs) no but then I do think it does because it's Zendaya who does the kick down on him where like when they're in the in in King's Cross in London, she's the one that kind of turns around and says like, "Why are you taking photos of people in bathrooms and stuff Hell like yeah. that?" Hell yeah, um, but like it, it's a very soft end to Brad, which I think is a very amusing subplot for the rest of the movie for the entirety of the movie up to that point. Sure. But I do think it's a soft ending. Maybe it comes back. Maybe Brad's going to be a, a villain going forward. Maybe, maybe. That's my weak link in the kid side. Sure. Um, I, I will say, like, because there's not time to see it earlier, like, um, Zach Barrack is one of the kids with them on the field trip who is uh, the first trans actor to have, like, a speaking role in a Marvel movie. It's tiny. It's on a level with, like, the Russos playing a gay man in, yeah. <laughs> in Endgame. But, like, it's good that one of the larger ensemble on this movie is... A trans actor. Wow, well, if they only acknowledge the Netflix verse, Jessica Jones Series 3 has a trans actor. So there you go. Right, my two go alternates. Go on. So number one, Martin Starr. I think Martin Starr is fucking wonderful in this movie. He is. Um, I'm not sold by J.B. Smooth. I think J.B. Smooth no, is. No, I'm not either. I was expecting more of him. <laughs> Yeah, like he's just like his whole thing is witches. I think the fact that this movie, like the, the the little bit where the movie goes, like we're gonna have the bit where Martin Starr takes the photo in Venice, is is wonderful. The delayed payoff to him dropping his camera in the the river yeah. is is fantastic. I think he's just it's it's a very different mode of acting to what he normally does in things wow. where like Silicon Valley has kind of made him into this quite cynical hard-edged kind of person. What I like is that this is very much lighthearted. Like and even Party Down, he's like more of an arsehole yeah. whereas this is it, he's flexing different comedy muscles and I think it shows what an absolute talent he is As and has been for so long Mike Thomas was of the opinion this is the first time he's ever seen Martin Starr actually act rather than just play the Martin Starr character of like grumpy nerd and yeah I, I think he's really good here I wouldn't go as far as all Marvel though. Like, I think he's a good bit player a good, a good comedy hand here and like 
it's good for Martin Starr, but like I just I look at what Zendaya is doing, and I'm like, nah, no comparison. That's that's fair enough. It's just I, when I think back on this, I think most of my laughs in the first half of this movie were all like Martin Starr and Martin Starr line deliveries. His wife like, pretending to blurp is <laughs> that is wonderful. Him forgetting to check to see whether or not it was open. Him telling that I gave it to the tour company for upgrading us, and then be like, I just heard you crying. Uh, yeah, I think Martin Starr is great. I think the thing that holds him back from being like all Marvel is he does kind of functionally disappear from the movie and i think that's the big issue is like he isn't like Luis in an ant-man where like marco pena gets a lot to do throughout the entirety of it like martin star very much disappears as soon as the kids are off that bus in london and we shift over into yeah. the, the other supporting cast members including like tony revelory getting like an actual bit to do it for the first time in the movie yeah. uh, I, w- I was a shout out to martin star but but not quite why don't you say the insane thing you want to say though ben <laughs> I think J.K. Simmons deserves an all Marvel. For his 30 seconds of acting. <laughs> I am going to make him my bonus pick. He is replacing Jeremy Renner. Mostly because this feels like... I think there are very few actors who have so thoroughly defined a character that it's a tough job to recast them. They made their vague attempt. His name appears on an email in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Who knows if they might have tried to get him back or to recast him if their plans for an ongoing universe had picked up. But very much they they had steered clear for the most part from attempting to recast this iconic character. Or this iconic performance by this actor. Yeah, I mean, like, that thing is, like, he's so perfect. Like, and the fact is, he's still been playing J. Jonah Jameson, like, the entire time he's been out of the Rain movies. Like, he is the voice in the cartoons. Is he the voice in the Spider-Man game? If it's not, they got a very good sound alike because the Jameson in the video game is very good. It's not. He hasn't done a video game since Lego Dimensions when he was back as Cave Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cave Johnson is amazing. If you know nothing about what we just said, just type Cave Johnson into YouTube. It's yeah. He, he's he like let, let's just go through. So he has played J. Jonah Jameson in the first three Spider-Man movies. He's played J. Jonah Jameson in The Simpsons, in Robot Chicken, in Avengers: Earth Mightiest Heroes, Ultimate Spider-Man, Lego Marvel Superheroes, Avengers Assemble, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and the Spider-Man Three video game. He is still the go-to J. Jonah Jameson voice. Yes, it is Robert Downey Jr.-esque levels of this is who the character is now, uh, to a lesser extent, Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. Yeah, I. the reason I wouldn't go with you on this is because... I am using it from Spider-Man 1 through 3. Yes, exactly. It's a technicality. Yeah, it's just like, I, maybe, maybe this is the only thing we get of him, but I think... The fact that he's the only actor they will do this with, I don't think there's any actor, apart from Ryan Reynolds, who's surviving the Fox deal. Yeah. Because Deadpool's a meta character anyway, so... Yeah, like, they can make a joke out of it. I think he's the only actor who's ever previously appeared in a non-MCU Marvel movie that will ever be back in one of these movies. Fingers crossed for Charlie Cox. (laughs) (laughs) Like, maybe, maybe Patrick Stewart. Maybe. I think D'Onofrio has a chance. But even then, like he's still MCU tangential. Like I, sure, like, sure, I would sure. be, I would be very surprised if he does, based on the way that Kevin Feige seems to have a distaste for the Netflix Marvel shows. <laughs> yes. But this is, it wouldn't shock me if they said like the villain of Spider-Man Three is going to be the Kingpin played by Vincent D'Onofrio, mm-hmm. and it'd be like, and they, and then they're just like, this is the one performance we're salvaging. Yeah, and um, I would think they would like almost re-debut it from scratch, like pretend he'd not played him before. But they just really like the actor. I could see that potentially happening. But yeah, I mean, 
if you want to use your bonus pick, which we said from the start they would be unchallenged and just someone who we feel not even necessarily tied to a particular film, I think we might have said, which is why I kept refusing to pick one for Hemsworth. If you want to use that to honour the work that J.K. Simmons did in that trilogy of movies, where he is the most consistently good thing in them, it's iconic, it's generational, go for it, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm doing that, and we will officially declare Zendaya Yay. Uh, as, as our Far From Home pick. She is fantastic, as we've she said. She will be pleased um, to know that. I'm sure. I mean, I, With I, her I, HBO I, show, she got i'm sure she'll take some time out and accept her all marvel award i mean she's got to stop looking at all those dicks that they've got on set <laughs> yeah I, w- I will say like uh, tom holland i definitely would like this is like if, if homecoming is 1a then this is like a 1b performance yeah, for him i'll think about it we'll we'll write up our updated all marvel <laughs> we only list. we only need to add six because jk simmons is replacing my write-up for jeremy renner Yay. um the, the other reason i don't feel bad for jeremy renner is because he has He's a dick in real life, but he has he has Hawkeye coming. I might be able to pick the one true Hawkeye as an all-Marvel pick. <laughs> this is true. Right, we've been saying it all episode. Next week, we will be back for our last Marvelous Journey episode for some time. We are going to look at all of the crazy Comic-Con announcements that came for Phase 4. They've, announced, they've labelled 10 projects as Phase 4. The future of Marvel, where we feel we are after... All of these movies that have come, what could happen? They've bought 20th Century Fox. You know, all of this shit. We're going to look at all of that going forward and Disney Plus as a concept and all of this stuff. So we will be back next week. We wanted to pair these together to do two in a row kind of thing. So that's why you've had to wait so long for Spider-Man because we were waiting on these announcements. So we will be back next week with episode 25 and our big future of Marvel. In the meantime, go to entertherealworld.com, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike and Matt. Uh, We have many, many fine podcasts. Ben and I uh, have There Will Be Movies, where we are looking at 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. Volume 1 is 2000, 2009. As of this recording, we have done Memento and Almost Famous coming this week is Training Day. Please go check that out. There is a Twitter account, which is at WillBeMovies, which is and better than There Will Be, which was the yeah. other option. <laughs> and if you're looking for us talking about comic book stuff, we will have a kind of bonus episode of Countdown to Destruction, where we will be covering Watchmen um, some point later on this year. Like We know it's coming in October, so... I assume we're going to cover all of Watchmen and that may end up being the episode zero of that. But that's... Who knows? Until then, though, this has been Ben and Matt's marvellous journey on what has somehow ended up one of our longest recordings ever. How have we done it? Bye, Ben. (laughs) Bye. Enjoy your lack of data. (laughs) 